Good morning. Good to see you people. It's been a couple weeks. Thank you, Rob. He filled in for me last minute last week um, because uh, I was sick. So feeling pretty miserable a week ago today with uh, that COVID thingy. But by God's grace, we're doing better. We had a great time in Tennessee before that uh, at our daughter Sadie's uh, wedding. Lots of laughter, tears, grateful uh, to welcome our new son-in-law Nathan to the family. Really excited about uh, all of that. So it's good to be together with you. So I missed a couple weeks, but here I am, I'm back, and I'm going away again. So I just thought I'd remind you of that. Uh, This will be my last Sunday in the pulpit for a few weeks. The elders have given me a sabbatical time this summer for rest and reflections for some study and planning to be a better minister for the Lord and for this congregation. So uh, I'm kind of excited to go on vacation with the Lord and uh, fill myself in ways I'm not typically able to uh, with the rigmarole of uh, life and ministry. So it's coming up on four years I've been together with this church. And we have some work to do yet, people. But uh, the Lord says this, anyone, uh, the writer of Hebrews says this, anyone who enters God's rest also rests from his own work, just as God did from his. And so I'm going to have a time of filling and rest, and just pray for me in that, and uh, I'll be popping in and out. Alicia's got a job she'll be busy at, so we're going to be around more or less this summer. But last time I preached... uh, We talked some about the power and authority available to us in God's kingdom and how we access the resources of God through faith. It's faith that makes the power of God's Spirit flow into our lives and circumstances. It's faith that does a work to help change our hearts. And there are a number of things that can block us and cut us off from the power of God. And so, uh, consequently, a lot of Christians live fruitless and powerless lives, not because God is withholding uh, and he's miserly in sharing those things with us, but I think it comes down to a lot of times God is not who we most desperately want. Um, He is not the priority of our lives. So we need to move beyond going through the motions and go deeper in our faith together. So this morning, uh, we're going to talk some about faith and discipleship, but I kind of want to remind you of some of these things that we talked about a couple weeks ago. Uh, How do we invite the power of God into our lives? Uh, We become like children, uh, children of light. We become uh, the light of the world. That's talking about real transformation. And so that's a righteousness that goes beyond externals. It's not just going through the motions. It's the reality of your heart that really matters. Um, It's faith that allows us to make contact with the power of the kingdom of God. And we talked about some stories of Scripture about desperate faith, about a faith that won't be shushed, about a faith that says, if I could just touch the hem of his garment, 
If, if I can just get my friend in front of Jesus, let's rip the roof off. Who cares? Let's get him. And that kind of faith, it gets God's attention. Uh, other things we need to do, we need to let go of all unforgiveness in our hearts. So what James said is particularly apropos uh, for us this morning. Unforgiveness blocks us off from the power of the kingdom of God. Now, some of us have long memories, and we have long memories of grievances and even mistakes that we've made. But ultimately, all unforgiveness is unforgiveness toward God himself. If you have unforgiveness in your heart, and you're not able to surrender that to the Lord, it will block you off from the things the Lord wants to give you. Habitual sin, secret sins that keep that we're hiding away, we're not dealing with them, we're not confessing them, we're not sharing with trusted brothers or sisters. Uh, A lack of humility will block us off from the resources of the kingdom. And then perseverance. Uh, Sometimes we just like prayer bomb the Lord. Hey, uh, He knows what we need. Maybe if you have that kind of relationship with the Lord, you don't pray because prayer doesn't make sense to you. But when you pray because you can't let go of something, when it bothers you so much you cannot release, and you keep it God like that, it connects us to His power and the power of His kingdom. Ultimately, I would say all of this is not like it's not like the things we do to turn the, uh, the, the light switch on to make the electricity of God's power flow into our lives. All of this stuff I'm talking about is relationship. It's a relationship. And it's all of these things are things that feed relationship. Humility feeds relationship. Um, if you have sin and, and unforgiveness, those have consequences for relationship. All right. If in the end, though, I was going to pick out the greatest challenge for us, accessing the power of God. I would say it centers around issues of faith. Our faith or lack thereof. And again in Hebrews I came across this scripture and I I never really thought about it. Um, I just always have kind of run right past this, uh, past these words, but here they are. We also have had the gospel preached to us just as they did, but the message they heard was of no value to them because those who heard did not combine it with faith. I just always just ran right past that verse for some reason. That the, the gospel, its value, the thing that connects it and makes it valuable, is faith. Then later on we're told without faith it is impossible to please God. And it's talking about seeking Him and searching for Him. A lot of people think it's impossible to please God because He has impossible standards. A lot of people think it's impossible to please God because He's harsh and He's demanding. The reason why it's impossible to please God without faith is not because God is harsh and demanding. It's because God is love. God is love. Love is not satisfied to be distant. Love is not satisfied to be estranged. 
Love wants to be together with its beloved. Faith, in this context, it means that we're trusting our lover, trusting the lover of our souls. And if we have a lack of faith, that means we don't trust. A lack of faith means we don't care enough to search for God. We don't care enough to spend time with God. We don't care enough to keep company together with Him. Because we got our own projects. We got our own priorities and our own things, and He's not what we most want. Well, I'm not trying to beat us up for a lack of faith. I, I do beat myself up for that sometimes. Uh, but I think it's something that grows over time. No one gets this faith stuff just by deciding one day, hey, I'm going to have faith now. And we suddenly get the infusion, whatever way that works. Faith is something that grows over time, and faith is necessary for connecting to the power of the kingdom of God. Jesus' disciples, we see the process that they had to go through for their faith to grow. They went together to be together with Jesus to start learning to do the kinds of things that Jesus was doing. They saw Jesus doing these healings. They saw Jesus doing exorcisms. Uh, things that helped manifest the presence of God's kingdom among them. Uh, but it's exercising kingdom power and authority. It's not something the disciples of Jesus just decided, I'm going to do this one day, and they did it. These men spent a number of years learning together with Jesus how to do these things and investing in that kind of relationship with their Lord. Uh, so think about the apostles it talks about in Luke chapter 9 where Jesus sends out the 12 at 12 and he gives them in that verse power and authority to do certain things. But these men had been together with Jesus, following him, watching him, learning from him. They were together with him on a full-time basis. They shared life with him. They sat at his feet, the feet of his teachings. And they witnessed the miracles that he did. And a lot of times, uh, for my place of privilege in history, I can look back, and I'm pretty hard on the disciples a lot of times. There's, they're just, why could they not get it? It was right there in front of them. How could they be so dumb? How could they be so blind? How could they just miss that? It was so obvious. Why couldn't they get this? But I think sometimes we need to give the disciples their due. These disciples are people who were businessmen and left their business for a number of years in order to be together with Jesus. They left their dad holding the nets in the boat, so to speak, because they saw what Jesus had and they wanted that to be a priority. And uh, someone who doesn't think the kingdom of heaven is at least that important whatever arrangements you would make for the continuation of your business or whatever. Uh, you're not going to find the fullness of what's available to you in regard to power and authority 
in God's kingdom. You have to really want it. And you have to really go for it. And so I just asked the question to myself, and I'll ask it to you. If you could do the kinds of things that Jesus' disciples did, would you really want to? Knowing what you would have to give up in order to obtain that. And you know if you said yes to that, your life, it's never going to be the same. It's never going to be the same again. See, we're not talking about life as usual when we're talking about entering and stepping into the kingdom of heaven. It isn't business as usual. It's not going through the motions. And there comes a point that as as a disciple of Jesus, as a Christian, we have to talk about really becoming a whole different kind of person. Are you becoming a whole different kind of person? Because you're willing to follow your Savior. Not just in words, but in truth. Laying it all on the line for Jesus Christ. Growing to a point where you are really changed. Where you conquer habitual sins. Where you have gone from pride to humility. Where you have moved from unfaith toward faith. You trust the Lord like that. And we grow into that. These people... These 12 men, they came and were taught and they wanted what Jesus had badly enough that they were willing to give up a period of time of their lives to follow him. And it took over the rest of their lives. I wonder if they knew that when they first got into it. I don't know. Just to be together with Jesus. And that's what a disciple is. A disciple is someone who has made the decision and made arrangements in order to be together with Jesus. I'm going to spend time with him. I'm going to be with him. I'm his. I'm going to look for him. I'm going to ask for him. I'm going to knock on the door. I'm going to learn how to become a light of the world. Well, after sending out the 12 in Luke chapter 9 and in chapter 10, Jesus sends out 72 other people, other disciples, maybe less highly trained, uh, and they go out and they're exercising power in the kingdom of God as well. And in uh, Luke chapter 10, verse 17 and 18, it says this, The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. And he replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Why is this the time that Jesus says Satan falls from lightning, like lightning from heaven? Why is it at this point that Jesus says these words? Why didn't he say that at the cross? Why didn't he say that when he first appeared after his resurrection? It's because the defeat of Satan in this world actually depends on human beings stepping forth in kingdom power and kingdom authority. 
Satan fell at this point because the gospel of the kingdom of heaven was accepted and acted upon by normal, regular human beings who believed it and accepted it in faith. You see, God God can get rid of Satan any way he chooses. It's It's not a power issue for God. But God chose to give us a part. We, by God's grace, are agents of Jesus Christ in this world to overcome evil with good. We are here on a mission to overcome evil with good. In your own heart, in your family, in the relationships around you, you were put here in this world to work good to the glory of God and to defeat evil by the power of good. And God helps you in that. God can get rid of Satan any way he wants to, and he chose instead, or he chooses to work together with us. And one of the reasons why I love the Gospels and reading through the book of Acts so much is that you really, you read those stories, you can see the growth of the disciples. From just not having a clue and not getting it, to these men who do these amazing, miraculous things to the glory of God. Nobody gets faith and then power like this in one shot. They have to grow into it. So uh, one of the stories, I'm just looking at stories of uh, looking at this progression of disciples learning how to do what Jesus did. And uh, they had a, a situation that stumps them. And we read about it in Matthew Matthew 17:14 through 16. When they came to a crowd, a man approached Jesus and knelt before him. Lord, have mercy on my son, he said. He has seizures and is suffering greatly. He often falls into the fire or into the water. I brought him to your disciples, but they could not heal him. At this point, the disciples had been doing this ministry. They were involved in a deliverance ministry from possession, and they were involved in a healing ministry. But something about this situation stumped them. They failed. I think about those words today as a disciple of Jesus, how people come to me and want my prayers, and I pray for them. But sometimes I feel like I have very little power here. And then I realize it's never meant that I have that power. It's trusting the Lord. Is my faith strong enough that I can put those things before him in trust of my God? Well, when this happens, Jesus says some harsh things and then he heals the boy. But then the, the disciples 
because they had been stumped, they pulled Jesus aside to privately ask him, what went wrong? What was the problem? Well, we've been doing this, but this one didn't do. What was the problem in this situation? The disciples came to Jesus in private and asked, why couldn't we drive it out, he replied, Because you have so little faith. Your faith is too small. And as you read Matthew 17, 21, and a parallel passage in Mark chapter 9, 29, Jesus tells us that prayer and fasting have something to do with faith as well. This kind only comes out by prayer and fasting. Uh, They're connected. There's a connection there. When we fast and pray for God's will to come and be done in people's lives, that fasting and prayer work together to help grow faith. And faith is a power to meet the challenges of our real lives. So when you come to, and I come to, uh, circumstances and situations that stump us, that we can't get around, that don't do the power that we need, just doesn't seem to be there. Have you cared enough about it to pray and fast? So you don't get faith by deciding, I'm going to have faith. You don't get faith by trying to have faith. You do the things, rather, that build faith. Prayer and fasting will build faith. You get faith by doing the things that cause faith to grow because God gives faith. God gives faith. We're told also faith comes by hearing the Word of God. You hear the Word of God enough, your faith will grow. And in Romans chapter 12, verse 3, Paul tells us that God has given each of us a measure of faith. You have a measure of faith. What's the condition of your faith right now? Some of it's just like a little seed, right? I got this little seed here. This is my faith. This is Calvin's measure of faith. Maybe it's a sapling. Maybe it's a little bush. Maybe it's a little tree that's growing. Is it growing? That little measure of faith that I have? How are you using your measure of faith? How are you leveraging your circumstances in your life to glorify God right now? What is your God-given task that you're working on together with Him right now? We need to ask these kinds of questions of ourselves. And there are many ministries in the kingdom of God, a special task that God wants to partner with you to accomplish. And it could be any number of things. Because these kingdom tasks are anything we do for the glory of God and the power of God. Anything, what are you doing to try to bring glory to God? And maybe you're not trying to bring glory to God in anything and you've not acknowledged Him, you've not, right, you've not made plans together with Him. 
that will cut you off from his power and resources as well. What are you doing in your life circumstances now to glorify God, to magnify his name, to make God look good, make him look great, make him look attractive to people around you? Anything we do for the glory of God and the power of God. So I like this, some writings of this uh, guy called Brother Lawrence. He works in a kitchen, cooking meals for people and cleaning dishes. And he is transformed to the point where people just come from all over to listen to this man's wisdom. Because he had humility and he was working the the works of, of the kingdom of God from a place of, he called himself the Lord of all pots and pans. From that place of humility, he worked the works of the kingdom of God. And his own faith and the faith of people around him, it grew and it flourished. So, You could be working in the power of God for the glory of God as any number of things. It's not just preaching, the guy who stands in the pulpit. The kingdom works can be any number of things. You could be a school teacher, a factory worker, a beautician, a real estate agent, a train engineer. You could be a stay-at-home parent. A nurse, you can be unemployed. You could be an auto mechanic. You could be a builder. You could maybe even work someplace like Warehouser. I don't know. And learn how to work in the power of God and for the glory of God. God has put each of us in a place. And that's hard because a lot of us don't like the place we're in right now. Our circumstances are uncomfortable. Our circumstances are unhappy. We do not like our place. And I'm not saying that we don't have good reason for moving out of that place. But rather, instead of being so quick to throw away our circumstances, saying, oh, I'm a victim, oh, I need this, if this thing happens, then maybe I can think about something for the glory of God. Why not think about the reality that you're in currently right now? How can you use your real life right now to glorify God? You remember, for most of his life, Jesus was a blue-collar worker. Don't throw your place away. I'm too old. I'm too young. I'm too whatever. And don't be like, if this, and then this, and then this happens, and this investment works out, well then, maybe I'll be in a place that I can do something for the glory of God and think about it that way. Do good and bless people in your real life right now. Don't wait. Find good things to do and do them for the glory of God. So the key to growing your faith, the key to learning, the key to not throwing away and discounting your place and circumstances, it all comes down to this issue of discipleship. Faith and discipleship.
Discipleship is about a relationship. Discipleship is about being together with Jesus in order to learn from Him. I have decided I'm going to make Jesus Christ a priority. I have decided I don't like these circumstances. I'm not happy with this, that, and the other. But I'm going to stop making excuses and I'm going to find something good to do for the glory of God right now. That's a process of discipleship. Dallas Willard says, you can't learn how to enter the kingdom of heaven unless you become a disciple of Jesus. Unless you become a disciple of Jesus. Jesus didn't say, hey, don't worry about it. Just believe the right things. Do the right rituals. Drink the right juice with the right cracker. And just sit there and soak it all in. I'll take care of everything else. Just enjoy yourself. I, I don't read that in my Bible. I read things like, Ask, and it shall be given to you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and the door shall be open. I read words like, Come to me all you who are weary and heavy burdened. Follow me. Abide in me. Abide in me, for apart from me you can do nothing. The mark of a disciple is that entering into the kingdom, we've made plans to do that, and we have made plans to make the kingdom of God and His righteousness the most important thing of our lives. The mark of a disciple is that Jesus is who you want to be together with more than anyone else. And you make plans to do it. And you spend time together with Him. And you look for good things to, to do together with Him in His name and by His power. And that gets a little bit squirmy for us because that's a question that you have to answer for yourself. You as an individual have to decide whether or not you have something more important to do than being together with Jesus. You have something better to do than making Jesus Christ your number one. And you have to come to terms with the excuses that you make. And you have to come to terms with the cost of being a disciple of Jesus. Just so you know, the cost of discipleship, there are costs. But the cost of non-discipleship is a whole lot higher. We have to make plans to help us keep seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness is our number one. Because if you don't, you're not careful, other things will squeeze that out. You, it will not be the easy default that you just slide into. So to close this morning, I'm going to read an extended section of Scripture because it's Jesus' teaching here is so profound and it's so convicting that I, you can't wiggle around these words. It just helps us confront the ambivalence of our own hearts. 
certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. And at the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I've just bought a field, and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm on my way to try them out. Oxen, that's like, uh, that's like getting a new tractor or something. Please excuse me. And still another said, hey, I just got married, so I can't come. It's nice to see the rights here this morning. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. (coughs) Sir, the servant said, What you ordered has been done, but there is still room. And then the master told his servant, Go out to the roads and country lanes and make them come in so that my house will be full. And I tell you, not one of those men who were invited will get to taste my banquet. And large crowds were traveling with Jesus. And turning, he said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate, hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower Will he not first sit down and estimate the cost and see if there is enough money to complete it? For if he lays the foundation and is not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule him, saying, This fellow began to build and was not able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Will he not first sit down and consider whether he is able then with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace in the same way. In the same way, any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. So the first block of this teaching has to deal with excuses, excuses that you make. Most of us have professed in this room some kind of allegiance to Jesus as our Lord. But what excuses do you continue to make for not coming to his feast table to be together with him. What other things have you found that you're telling the Lord your God they're more important? The second block of teaching has to do with priorities. The distance between the priority of the kingdom of God and 
the priority of a family is the distance between love and hate. The kingdom needs to be a priority. And the reason why Jesus says harsh words about about your family and about yourself is because these are habitually the things that we give priority over our families or over the kingdom of God is our families and ourself. And then the third block of teaching, talking about building towers and uh, defying king's armies with the... It's talking about planning, plans that you're making. What plans are you making to be a disciple of Jesus? What plans are you making to spend time together with him? Because without plans, without strategy, without intentionality, you will not seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. You will seek first the kingdom of self or the kingdom of family and the kingdom of uh, some smaller kingdom. Planning. What plans and habits do you have in place to help you seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness first? So, he's telling us to take up a cross and carry that cross. So think about just what a crucifixion is. They were so common back then, there were times, there were so many, anyone in the first century knew what a crucifixion was. The Romans are crucifying people all the time. Jesus was not unusual in that behalf. There were times in Jerusalem where they ran out of lumber because the Romans were crucifying so many people. But if you are a person who is being sent to death and you're carrying the means of your own execution, what's the guy who's carrying a cross thinking about? If I'm carrying a cross, marching to my execution, what am I thinking about? I'm not thinking about my investments. I'm not thinking about, did my wife make me dinner or not? A guy who's carrying a cross is not thinking about, oh, what do I need to be doing in the garden? Or, what football game is playing on TV? Or, What was this situation at work that upset me or caused me grief or made me look bad or whatever? A guy who's carrying a cross is not thinking about stuff like that. The cross cuts off things like that, changes our priorities. Things that we thought were important, they don't seem that important anymore. So to close this morning, I'll offer an invitation. I always do. I try to. uh, To put the Lord on in baptism. That's a beginning step of discipleship. If you need the prayers of this church, we welcome you to come forward and share those with me uh, when we stand and sing in just a moment. But the other invitation I want to leave to you is these hard words from Luke chapter 14. Keep chewing on these things. Keep thinking about them. What excuses are you making for not coming to the Lord's banquet? What are the true priorities of your life as revealed by the way you spend your time and your money? And what plans are you making to keep the Lord your God as the priority of your life? And maybe some good things will come of this. And maybe faith will grow. And maybe 
we'll be ready as individuals and as a community and a church to take our next steps in being wholehearted disciples of Jesus Christ. Let's stand and sing together.